0: Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. Amen. We can have a seat this morning. Pray that that... uh... Thank you, team. Beautiful song, Um, and indeed about a beautiful name. Um, I hope that can sink in um, this morning. Considering what Scripture has to say, God's truth to us, his revealed truth to us about who Jesus is, uh, what he came to accomplish, He's got no rival. He's got no, there's nothing that he isn't in control of. And his name indeed is, is above all names. I pray that that's a reality for you. I pray that it's not just something, oh, sure, yeah, his name, I, I, you know. Uh, but literally, in Philippians 2, it talks about that every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess at his name, Jesus Christ. And, and we heard a couple weeks ago, I, can, I forget who said it, but Christ isn't just Jesus' last name, you know? Christ is, is signifying he, the Messiah, the chosen one, the one that has come to bear the wrath of God and the sins of all of us, the sins of the world. Um, what a beautiful and powerful and wonderful. I love those different courses. Uh, beautiful, powerful, wonderful. I'm probably forgetting one, but his name. Man, that's Awesome. Uh, well, hey, my name is Matt. Welcome again this morning. Glad you c- came here to worship with us this morning. Uh, if you're new uh, with us today, we've been in a, a series uh, in, in the Psalms. And uh, we chose to do this series in a matter of eight weeks, which is actually kind of crazy. Uh, but we wanted to do it. Uh, we wanted to kind of take a broad look at it. Um, in the way the Psalms are laid out, like, like we could have taken three years and gone through every single Psalm. And that would have been amazing. But it would have been three years. Uh, so we, we just said, hey, we want to give us, uh, our body, just a taste of what the Psalms are as a whole and kind of look into different Psalms. And, and the way the Psalms are really broken out, it, it makes sense. There's some method behind our madness why we chose this eight-week series. Uh, in the first two weeks, so you come to Psalms 1 and 2, and it really lays the bedwork, the, the foundation that the rest of the Psalms really hang upon. And we looked at that, uh, oh, I don't know, five weeks ago or so, Psalms 1 and 2. And we we looked at how those Psalms lay a foundation uh, for the rest of the Psalms. And the rest of the Psalms are put together with five different books. If you guys kind of remember, we've we've said this just about every week. I think you should know this by now. But in case you've missed it, uh, they're laid out in different books. So uh, that's what the remainder of of our weeks are are going. And then we're going to have a wrap-up that that, that last week on week 8. Uh, so in book one, it has a series of psalms in it. And, and Doug Grogan preached a few weeks ago on, he, he chose out of the, the, that, those books, those books, the psalms within the books, he chose Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And if you were here for that, it was an incredible message that God, I know, used to speak to me personally, uh, that we as a culture, we as men and women, even of faith, sometimes are in so much want and we're consumers, and we're just like, ah, oh, I need more, I need more, I need more. And, and Doug, the Lord just spoke through Doug, just very simply, the Lord. if the Lord is our shepherd, the, the way he should be and the way he desires to be and the way really we, we, we should desire him to be our shepherd, we shall not want. Amazing. If you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to that A message on Psalm 23. Uh, last week, we looked into book 2. Uh, the series of Psalm making up book two within there was Psalm 46. And we, and we talked about, uh, well, actually we, we practiced a couple Selah moments. If you were here last week, we, we kind of practiced. What does it look like to, to stop? Cause you see in the Psalms, this, this word Selah all the time, like Selah, what does it really mean? And, and as a church, it was fun to corporately practice Selah moments last week. And we also looked into Psalm 46:10 specifically uh, where, where God says, Hey, be still and know that I'm God. In a culture, again, in a culture where we are just busy, 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 busy with our schedules, with our minds, worries, with things we're worried about, or and different things. God says, "Be still, and know that I am God." Well, this week we are in week five. Uh, we're approaching book three of the Psalms. Uh, book three encompasses Psalms seventy-three. Through 89, it, it actually ends right before, and, and, and book, book, uh, book four starts with Moses' psalm, which is cool, Psalm 90, uh, but it stops right at 89, and so I had a choice, okay, Lord, well, I got this pool of whatever, 30 psalms or so through, and uh, which, which one would you like to talk through with our church this Sunday as we consider book three of the psalms? And as I prayed, uh, God landed me to Psalm 77. So if you would turn with me or flipping your phones or iPads or whatever it is you got that brings God's word to our eyes, turn to Psalm 77 with me. As you guys turn there, I want to reiterate something. Um, We've said this a few times, but also with the whole Psalms looking like a 30,000 foot view at the Psalms, um, there's different categories, You'll find as you read the Psalms, and, if you, and I hope you've been reading along with, with the Psalms. Uh, we, we, we said if you read about three a day, that was weeks ago. So, uh, but anyways, uh, you, you'd kind of be able to get through all 150 Psalms as we go through the series. Um, anyways, as, as you've read some of the Psalms, or as you've done it in the past, you'll know that there's different categories of Psalms. There's, there's hymns of thanksgiving. Where the psalmist will just write, just, just praise. And, he's, and he's, he, in his heart, he's just thankful for what God's doing. And he's just, he's just going to town like, thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you, thank you. So hymns of thanksgiving. Another category is there's uh, hymns of celebrating God's law. You know, these guys, these guys at this point in life, as they were penning these psalms, they had the Torah. And they would, they would celebrate God's law. And they knew it was life and it was good. And God's law is good. And they would dwell upon it. And they would praise God for it. They would celebrate God's law. Another category was songs of confidence in God. Another category, royal psalms. There's a few of those which are really neat through, throughout the psalms. Uh, historical psalms where they would really pen out a narrative, like, like a story of, of what God did in Israel. He brought them through the Red Sea and they brought them through the wilderness. They brought them and took Jericho down. Like, and then they would just kind of document kind of historical psalms you'll find. Uh, There's prophetic psalms. There's hymns of praise, like like Psalm 150. If you go to that, it's just like, praise God. We're going to praise him with a cymbal. We're going to praise him with a harp. We're going to praise, let let the instruments roar um, category of psalm. And then there's a category that I want us to consider this morning, a category of psalms of lament. Songs of lament. Where men would hit certain places in life, they'd come up to certain distresses in life and they would, as they would pen divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit to pen different things, they would pen songs of lament. Now, it's it's amazing to me as we consider, you know, here we are, and I, and, I, and I pray that each one of us here know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that we've bent the knee and we've, we've received him in faith and received the work that, he, that we've sung about, about what he's done on the cross. He paid it all. It's just, it's just ours to receive that gift of salvation from him and his covering, his righteousness. And, and I pray that as we here, okay, gather, sitting under his word, whether it's under his word in song or in, you know, this preaching time or in fellowship, I pray that we understand where we're at in our journey of faith. We are all on a journey of faith. And when we consider, just like the Psalms have all these different categories, it's really amazing to me that no matter where you're at in your journey of faith, whether you're on a high mountaintop or a low valley or somewhere in between, there's a psalm in the Psalms for you that will specifically. Ta- Point you in a direction and, and, and uh, that you'll be able to absolutely relate to and that God will use in your life as the Holy Spirit will use and illuminate His Word to us. I, I, I think that's cool how the, all these categories are found in the Psalms. Uh, in their book, Janet uh, Hagberg and Robert Gulich, uh, A Critical Journey, The, the Critical Journey, they kind of lay out in this book six stages of faith that I want us to kind of chew on this morning before we dive headlong into Psalm 77 and talk about what God's doing. Like, I want us to consider, so I, I, I thumbed through this book again because it was just something God led me to do. And I want us to consider where we are at in these different stages of faith, okay? And these things can be named differently. It's not like this is the end-all, be-all, but I think they do a good job of kind of looking at different, the different phases of the Christian life from when you are born again, believer in Christ, to when you g- go home and see him in glory, but even before that, okay? And, and we see these different stages. Now, and as I explain a couple of these just very, very briefly this morning, I'd like you to, to consider, okay, where am I at? in these stages of faith and you may be at a couple different places it's not like you're at one and or the other it could be a, a mix of a few so contemplate this with me where, where are we at are, are we are we maybe at a phase one where we're there's a recognition of God and there's a where, where faith really looks like you're you're discovering God maybe for the first time maybe you're there this morning Second stage, the life of discipleship. Maybe you've come to know the Lord. Jesus as your Savior and you're growing in him. And, and you have this something in you. If faith is learning about God, you just want to learn more. You're the one right now that you're just like taking notes. You're just going for it and you're just writing and you're highlighting your Bibles and you're going making references and you're buying the study Bibles. You're learning about God and it's, and it's a passion of yours. Maybe number three, the productive life where faith looks like it's, you're practically serving God and you're just, you can't get enough of it. You know, maybe you're understanding some of the ways you're gifted and, and people are speaking in your life, hey, I think you could do well at doing this or that, and the other thing. And you're like, okay, yeah. And, 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 and of course, you're always learning about God. You're not like you're leaving this stage of uh, the life of discipleship. You don't leave that behind, but you, you maybe move on to this serving phase where you're just excited to serve and you're hands on and you're, you know, you're the one that's just like bouncing around the walls and you're serving every ministry and you know we don't want you to burn out and all that, but you're just serving and you're excited to serve with your gifts. Maybe number four, okay, there comes a point in, in all of our, in the Christian life, in the life of a believer where there's a, a journey inward and where faith is really starting this thing, of, this faith is looking like rediscovering God, okay? Maybe maybe you thought you had God put in a box or ever, ever put God in a box, right? Maybe as we're learning about him and, you know, everything looks black and white and all of a sudden you hit something in life and you're like, oh, maybe I didn't have that quite right or, or that's a little more confusing than I thought, or you know what I mean? Have you been there? Okay. So this, there, there's a stage that's an inward journey. And then there's an outward journey, the journey outward where faith is as you start to wrestle with these things and you maybe start figuring some things out and you go through some hard times and trials in life and you start to, you start to kind of like come out and you're, you, there's a new way of surrendering your all to God surrendering your life to God. Maybe you're, you're at this stage now where you're just like, God, my life is yours. Here's like we sung. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. Just tell me what to do. You're my, I, I'm yours. Tell me what to do. And then this final stage, and, and again, I, I think the last three kind of do go in order a little bit. I, I, think, I think others build on each other well. And um, so this life of love, where, where your life we're, we're, uh, uh, the honest opinion of, of yourself, you wake up in the morning and you're just like, Jesus, would you just shine through me? Would I be a light to my coworkers, to my neighbors? Anything and everything I do, may it be your life being lived in me as I literally reflect you to the world. Reflecting God. Faith looks like reflecting God. And I hope I'm not amiss by saying this. We, we want to be a people this morning, I, I, I guess I can only speak for myself, uh, but we, I, I pray that it's our hearts desire that we want to be a people who reflect God, that we ultimately get to this place where we wake up and that's just our, that's just our MO. That's what we're all about and that's what people know as far as, man, he's just a reflection of Jesus. And as we do that, we take Jesus' Great Commission seriously. We heard about it in the, the Great Commission Fund and all that the Alliance is doing around the world. I ask us a question. Are we doing that in our neighbor's life? Are we a reflection to God in our neighbor's life, in our co-worker's life? Are we being a reflection to God in, in our fellowship's life, in, in our, maybe our journey groups or, or in our other friends in our community? Are we taking Jesus' commission seriously? in where we're at and in our journey of faith. Not only is commissioned to make disciples and to preach the gospel to all nations, and you can preach with more things than just words, but eventually there needs to be words. Um, but also, we take, do, are we taking his great commandment seriously that we ought to love our neighbors as ourselves? And, and this is just between you and the Lord, but I ask you a question. In the last week, could you point to a place where you said I was living the Great Commission out? Practically, this is, what I, this is what happened, this is what God led me to do. And here's how I lived the Great Commandment out in the last week. Between you and the Lord. Where are we at this morning in these stages of our journey of faith with our Lord? Now there's a Catch. In this book, they they describe, it's not they don't call it a stage because it it, it can come and go. It's a a season, they talk this thing, and they call it a wall. And we're going somewhere, by the way. I know I'm kind of going on a little bit of a rabbit trail here, but we're going somewhere. As we get into Psalm 77, I think this is important for us to consider. A wall experience. And for some, we, we meet many different wall experiences in life. I'm going to quote from the book here real quick. A wall experience, they say, fundamentally has to do with slowly breaking through the barriers that we've built between our will and a newer awareness of God in our lives. I'm going to just say that again and then keep reading. Fundamentally, a wall experience has to do with slowly breaking through the barriers that we have built between our will and And a newer awareness of God and all that He is in our life. A wall is where we've spent all of our own energy and our own resources. And we have come to the end of our ropes. And where we're at a point where we, in desperation, we're ready to learn about freedom. The liberty of living without grasping. In a more profound sense than ever before, we want to let God be God and to let God direct our lives. A wall. You ever hit a wall? Bam! And it can come in any of these stages of faith. You know, it can be in the midst of all of them or, you know, some of them. And I, and I know, looking around here, we've all hit a wall. Maybe a few. Biblical stories of a wall experience are, are, are like Jonah in the belly of a fish. If you guys remember that story, I won't go into it. But Jonah, when he was in that belly of the fish for those three days and three nights, he hit a wall and it smelled really bad. I'm sure. Gosh, it must have been wretched. Anyways, but he, he hit a wall and he was in distress. But when he hit it, he fell down and he was at a wall. Another, another example in, 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 uh, in, in the Bible that we have is, is the woman who had a disease for 12 years, that, the, the bleeding disease for 12 years, who, who saw Jesus in Mark 5. And she had dealt with that illness for 12 years. So she hit a wall and it, it lasted, you know, for Jonah, it was maybe three days, three nights. But for this woman, it was a 12-year season of a wall. Ah, kind of grinding tension against what she would desire her life experience to be. And she's dealing with this wall season. Job, we, we, most of us know Job's story, man, not only his illness and sicknesses, but it, everything that happened with his family and his, his farm and everything, everything was taken away from Job. He had many wall experiences. We think of King David wrestling through his sin with Bathsheba and we, and we have Psalm 51 out of that whole wall experience for him. Okay. I'm explaining all this because I want us to understand that as we come to Psalm 77 and many other Psalms that will come to these songs of lament are are from, from these people who come, they've hit a wall in life and they've fallen backward and they're hurt, they're disoriented, they're stressed, they're angry, they're confused. And it's in that place that these guys are writing these songs of lament. And it's in that place, as we come to Psalm 77, that this guy Asaph, who wrote this psalm, is at. He's at a wall. Here's what I believe God wants us to consider today as we move into the psalm. How should we, this is a question, how should we as God's people handle times of distress in life? How ought ought we handle the walls in our faith journey? When we come to times where we we hit something and we're like, Oh, I didn't expect that. And you fall back and you're like, What what is this horrible wall in front of me? How am I going to get through this thing? I have no idea. And, And like I said, sometimes these wall seasons can be years of dealing with it and, and, and pick and picking and, and so the question that the Lord wants us to consider is how do we handle the walls in our life, the laments in our life, the distress in our life, so that, so that as we go through the wall, okay, and I say through, not around, not digging under, not hiring a lift to just jump over, going through it with effort. And with the Lord and you pick pieces out and you deal with things and you, you wrestle and, okay, you got to go through the wall, not just around it. Anyways, how do we go through a wall experience in a way that as we get through it and move on past it, we're actually healthier and, and we move stages of faith? We move into the recognition that, that, that God's just going to be reflected in my life or whatever. It, 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 it's, it's scary to think that many of us go through walls and we kind of go through it in a way that isn't very healthy and we end up destroying ourselves and people around us and we get angry and we never come out of it. The rest of our life, some of us have been stuck at a wall for 30 years because we just don't know what to do. Well, let's jump in here. Psalm 77 a psalm of Asaph in context Asaph just so you know this was interesting to me it was pretty neat Asaph in first chronicles you can read it up on his story first chronicles 16 it's in the context of the Ark. King David is king over Israel, and he, he's, he got the Ark to come back to Jerusalem, which was a big deal. I won't get into it, but huge deal for the, for the nation of Israel that the Ark is coming back and is going to remain in the tabernacle at Jerusalem. And they're celebrating as the Ark's coming in, literally. And David appoints Asaph to sing the song of thanksgiving as the Ark's coming in Jerusalem. I think, I think that's a cool picture of who Asaph was. And then David also appoints Asaph as they do the celebration and the ark set up in the tabernacle and they begin formalizing how, they gonna, how they're going to do worship as a people of God. David appoints Asaph to be the chief worship leader or whatever they called it back then, the chief worship celebrating guy that would do things. Okay, he, Asaph was the guy. So we got Asaph here writing this song of lament to us this morning. You know, let, 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 me, let me just pray real quick. I, I want God to speak this morning, because uh, if he doesn't, it's, it's worthless for us to dig into anything. So, Lord, we just, we just stop and we a- ask, Lord Jesus, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, um, Lord, illuminate your word and your truth to us this morning. Lord, uh, there's individuals out here that, that need to hear from you. And, and I pray, God, that we, our, vo- our ears can be attentive. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear uh, from you this morning. It's in Jesus' name, Lord, that we pray. Amen. Psalm 75, verse 1. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and He will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, with my hands stretched out without wearying, my soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When When I meditate, my spirit faints. As we work our way through this psalm, I'm going to stop from time to time. I think there's five guiding principles that we can apply to our life when it comes to hitting wall experiences in our life, hitting times of distress. So in this first three verses, I, I, I don't want us to miss a simple and yet profound principle that Asaph kind of naturally lays out for us. But a quick reading, we can read right by this and not really stop and consider it. And the first principle is this. Cry out to God. It sounds simple. It sounds like duh. But there's so many things that Asaph could have turned to back in this day. And, and we don't know exactly what he was dealing with. Uh, we don't know exactly what his circumstance in life was, was, he was what he was dealing with. But we know it was something that was causing him distress. He could have turned to so many different people, be it his family, be it his relatives, be it different people. And it's not wrong to turn to these people. In fact, we need to, but ultimately, as we turn to different people for help, we need to be crying out to God. With his hand stretched out, he's stretching to God saying, God, I need to hear from you in this situation. Notice he doesn't go down the road and we can sometimes make this mistake of going down the road when we come to a wall where we get sidetracked and we think, okay, in, in my own strength, i got to figure this out. In my own understanding, i got to figure this out. And before we know it, we're going down the road of becoming a workaholic. Or maybe we'd, we've gone down the road of, of becoming a foodaholic. Maybe a sexaholic. Maybe a weedaholic. Maybe a shopaholic. We get, sometimes we can get literally addicted to certain things in life as we come to wall or distress. And and if we don't turn to God and seek him, we will turn to something else. I know I have. We will turn to something else if we don't initially choose to turn to God. And I think it's interesting. Notice Asaph in in verse 3. Even even when I remember God, he says, I moan. And when I meditate, my spirit fancy's he's even saying, hey, even in life, if you're seeking God and you're just like, gosh, seeking you just makes me almost worse off in some ways. Like, oh, man, Lord, I'm in this place. ah, oh. you know, but even in that, he still is seeking. and He's crying out to God. We need to be careful where we turn and we, do, we won't notice it. Um, sometimes others in our lives notice it before we do. Um, but may we start to pray, Lord, and when I come to distressful times, give me eyes to see where I turn, even in the little things, the daily things. May we cry out to God. Kind of we got to keep rolling here this morning, but let that set in that, that it's not just simple that he's crying out to God. It's, 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 it's part of what we need to take in, I think, as we move through our walls. Verse 4, he says, he continues, You, God, hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years of long ago. I I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit, Asaph says, my spirit made a diligent search. Well, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Verse 8, in his steadfast love forever ceased. Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Selah. Not only crying out to God, but number two principle that I think we can take from Asaph here is is we need to understand how to experience our emotion. We are bad at that, especially guys. You know what we like to do? Well, not just guys. This is guys and girls, okay? And, and whatever. I just say guys because I'm a guy and, and whatever. Whatever. What, what we do when we come to an emotion, right? We hit a wall or we hit some distressful time in life. What do we do? We're upset. We're, you know, we're, we're anxious about something or upset with someone or whatever job or, or relationship or something. We, we take that emotion. We go, ready? Oh, we push it down, right? And we do that for years and years. And and then we walk around like this. We don't really do that, but that's what we do sometimes. And gals, you guys do it too. We need to, and it's a scary, you know, I want to be careful of this because I think there's a good balance of experiencing your emotions the way God would have us. Okay. I think there's extremes on both ends. You stuff it or you, you just completely like, you like always in it. Like, okay, take it easy. Um, dramatic. You, you know, you know what I mean? So we need to find a happy balance, but the balance is not to stuff it. Uh, The balance is to experience our emotions, to allow them to come out. We need to outwardly express our inner emotion. And I know you guys are like hearing that and it's going out one ear. So I'm going to say it again. We need to outwardly, with our words, express our inner emotion. Don't keep it in. I uh, referenced a professional biblical counselor this week about this. I I wanted to know, am I off, sir, in this thing of, do we, as people of God, do we need to experience our emotions, and do we need to let them out? Like, what does that look like? And you guys will know this guy, uh, Matt Pettit. He's a professional biblical counselor. So let's listen to a few things he has to say about this issue of our emotions.
1: Let me just start this off by saying I'm not gonna quote any data points here or uh, give any case study uh, analysis. This is just fun, um, simple, off-the-cuff thoughts on how do we process emotions and what happens when we when we don't um, manage our emotions. First things first, the three steps to processing or managing emotions is uh, feel your emotions. Gotta feel them. Second, we got to process them. Just do something with them. And the third step uh, is let them go. And um, that's pretty straightforward. Fortunately, God uh, made us quite complicated and gave us simple tools to deal with our complexities. But what happens if we don't do that? What happens if we don't process them? What happens if we don't let them go? Or, or we don't feel them in general? Uh, it, we get issues. We get anger. Where does anger come from? Well, most anger, not all anger, but most anger comes from not dealing with our emotions we we got this pressure cooker going on inside we're sweeping our emotions under the carpet and and are putting them on a back burner to never be dealt with and uh sure we're gonna deal with them later and we don't then we walk around and pretty soon we blow the lid off the pressure cooker and And where did that anger come from i don't even know i can't remember and uh or sometimes we know very specifically and we probably should have brought it up weeks ago or months ago or maybe even years ago uh, we just increase stress, unresolved emotions, emotions we haven't worked through, uh, stresses us out. And what happens with stress? Ooh, man, we got research galore talking about stress, you know, whether it's, um, depression or anxiety issues or, you know, go to the medical profession and they have, they have, uh, medical ailments that they don't even have names for them yet, but they're probably stress related. And, uh, yeah, stress is a big, big deal, um. Uh, but we can, we can keep from having that much stress by coping with the, the emotions, dealing with them, making them, they're real. So let's uh, not hide from them. Let's use our God-given ability to, to work through them. And with His strength uh, in us, we can work through those emotions, no matter how heavy they are no matter how big and daunting they are. So, um, <laughs> yeah, pray, pray, pray. And uh, the God of the universe, an infinite God, can help us finite people work through emotions.
0: There you go. A professional's opinion on how to deal with our emotions. Not only must we cry out to God, okay, principle number one, just, just, just know you've got, you got to turn to God. Don't turn to other things. Number two, we need to experience our emotion. We need to let them come out. We need to deal with them, your honest emotions. And and within this, we have a principle number three that we come to. Look look at verses um, seven through nine with me again. And the principle is this: we need to come to a place sometimes where we question God, and we see Asaph here. We look at verse seven; he starts to question God. Will will, will the Lord, Lord, will you spurn forever? And never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love, God, has your steadfast love forever ceased for me? Are his promises at an end for all time? Lord, are your promises, like, have they ceased to me? Verse 9, has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? And then that word selah, it's like he stops and he's considering, he's wrestling with these. We need to be honest about the promises that we feel that God is not being faithful to in our lives. And, and though that seems backwards, though that seems unhealthy, it's actually a healthy thing. God is big. And God wants to know when we have a, a, burr, under our spat, you know, a burr under our saddle towards him. Like, God, I, I got an issue here. You say you're going to be faithful and that your grace is sufficient. I'm not, I'm not sensing that it's doing it right now. I'm not sensing that your promise is being fulfilled in my life. And we see Asaph question God. And in fact, if you look at all the Psalms of the little men, not not all of them, but most of them, 90% of them have a section where they question God straight up. And they're big questions. God, is your compassion, is your compassion, God, gone? Have you forgotten to be gracious? Where's your steadfast love? Has it ceased? Big questions, and and we need to be a people. If we're going to move through times of distress, sometimes we need to just look up to heaven, and we need to ask God the the big questions that are on our hearts anyways, and he knows them, but it's, it's, it's really good for us to get them out and to put them before him. We think of men of the Old Testament like Abraham, Jacob, or Moses, David, these, these men and women who, who wrestle with God. Jacob literally, we have that story where he literally wrestles with God all night long to no avail necessarily, but he wrestles with God, and we need to be people who wrestle with God. As I thought about this uh, last night and this morning, have you ever been here? Questioning God. I got choked up a little bit thinking about it this morning. Um, Some of the times in my life when I've been in a season of questioning God are the darkest, the most depressing, um, difficult times that I've ever dealt with in life when I question God, when I question His love, when I question His plan when I question what he's doing and why isn't he doing it in my timing. But it's here where we need to be honest with him and lament out to him. Authentically question God is a principle we need to keep in mind as we walk through the walls of our life. But, We can't stop there, okay? Experiencing our emotions, questioning God, absolutely. We got to get them out. We got to be honest and authentic because if we aren't, we'll never move on. But we need to know this. We need to choose to transition. And we see this. Continue in the psalm with me with Asaph, verse 10. Then I said, Asaph, he kind of talking to himself here. I will appeal to this. To the years of the right hand of the Most High, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Principle number four here that I see in the Psalms here is this this choice to transition. Okay, and this transition, it, it happens where where at once we were focused, yeah, sure, and it's healthy sometimes, right, to look inward, to look at or to look at what's going on. Okay, experiencing our emotions, questioning God, and where all the while we're kinda our eyes are fixed all on me, myself and I, which y- there's a season where that becomes unhealthy. Okay, so you gotta know the balance so you gotta listen to other people, you gotta gotta li- But there's a time though where that becomes if you keep going down that road forever and ever, it, it becomes very unhealthy and it's not what God wants. There's a time where God's like, okay, you're ready now to start transitioning. And we, with our minds, with our, the choice of our will, there needs to be a shift within our minds and our will off of ourselves and placed onto God, remembering Him in His works. The, the, he says here, uh, I will appeal to this, to the years of the, the right hand of the Most High. That, that expression, the right hand of the Most High, it's the, the right hand of God. Throughout the whole Old, Old Testament, it would be written of an expression of God's love and provision for his people. When, when, when Asaph saying, your right hand of the Most High, he's saying, all those ways that you've provided for your people and that you've loved your people and that you have guided them and, and brought them through turmoil and trials and, and temptations... And and what he's saying is, he's saying, I'm going to appeal to this though, God. I'm appealing to this because you know what? It's not happening in my life. And yet I'm choosing right now, I'm choosing to transition in my mind. Though my feelings are saying one thing, my faith is saying something else as I consider your works. Some of us need to write this down. Some of us need to write this down. He, Asaph, is making a choice to go completely against all that he feels is true. And it's there. It's real. It's real. It's hitting you like a ton of bricks. It's real to you in your feelings. He's going against all that he feels is true. And he's starting to transition to lean hard on what he faiths is true. And yes, we made that word up. But I think it's good. I think that feels and faiths is true, is big for us guys. Because you know what? We wake up every day and we go to work and we do what we do on a daily basis. And you know what? For some of us, no matter what we're feeling, is how we go about the day. Goodness, that, 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 that can get you in traps all day long, every day. If all you're doing is going off how you feel, good luck. Like it's It's a mess. 'cause your feelings if you're a human being they go up and down with circumstances, right? And so if you if you're doing bad, you're if you're doing good, you're <laughs> ask my daughter Alea. She has a she 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 knows how to follow her feelings. She's hilarious. If things are going good, she gets a cookie, man. She's on cloud nine, can't wait to be nice to brother, can't wait to be obedient to parents. But boy, if you take the cookie away or something happens in life where, I don't know, she can't wear the shirt she wants or something to school, heaven forbid that happens in the morning, she'll plummet like completely 180 degrees down into a valley of the depths. And we laugh, but we all do it. I do it. If I am completely leaning on what I feel is true. Asaph transitions, and I I think it's a principle that we need to know. We need to choose to transition. Not how I feel anymore. Sure, I've dealt with my feelings. I'm I'm dealing with them, but Lord, I'm transitioning in my mind. I'm going to start focusing on the things that I know are to be true. I'm going to turn to your word. I'm going to turn to people in my life that love you, that can guide me into dwelling on who you are, God. This is huge. Some of us are right here, guys. Some of us are right here. You need to choose to transition. And you haven't yet. And you've been there for years. Because you're not going to transition unless God changes how you feel. That's how you you approach it. God, I'm not going to move until you change how I feel. And when I feel better about doing it, sure. Right? Now, sometimes that can happen. Absolutely. But, but I think, and for Asaph, it, there was a choice. He, he ch- chose to transition. Fifth principle, and this is our final one. Let's read uh, the rest of the psalm here. Verses 13 is where we left off. Your way, O oh God, here he is transitioning. He's, he's starting to fight it here. He's wrestling. Your way, O oh God, is holy. Whew. What God is great like our God? Now, that's a good question, unlike the ones before. Look at his transition, guys. What God is great like our God, he asks. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. With your arm you redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. He's, he's remembering, and he stops and says, Selah. He's remembering the goodness of his God and how God by his right hand has brought the nation, the nation of Israel out. And, and then he goes into this depiction. He, he's remembering the Red Sea. Pick it up as he poetically writes verses 16 and on. When the waters saw you, O God. When the waters saw you they were afraid indeed the deep trembled the clouds poured out water the skies gave forth thunder your arrows flashed on every side the crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind and your lightnings lighted up the world and your earth trembled and it shook your way god was through the sea your path through the great waters yet your footprints were unseen as you led your people like a flock by the hand of moses and aaron Principle number five is as we choose to transition, we need to continue to remember and to rest in God and what he has done. Past tense and future. What he's going to do. Because sometimes in the present, we got nothing to hold. We're like, ah, he's absent. But we got past and we got future. We got to remember and rest in God. Ponder his attributes. Ponder his character, recall it, meditate on it, his works, his redemption and his faithfulness. Asaph, it's cool, he, he had the Red Sea, right? In, in his timeline where he was in biblical timeline, he, he looked back and he saw the Red Sea and he saw things that God did in the nation of Israel as he brought them through the wilderness and into a new land and he had that to look back on. We today, right, we have, we have the cross to look back to. Calvary, which in my opinion is like the pinnacle, it's like the climax of all of biblical history into one, the gospel where, where God became man and, and died on the cross for the sins of the world, taking the wrath. Like he took, he took it and he, he began his kingdom. And we have that to look back to and to remember. Not only the work of Jesus on Calvary, but we have the book of Acts. We have all the things that were done in the early church. We have the writings and the testimonies of the, the apostles in the New Testament. You know, we got all these New Testament books of, of, of stories and things that these guys and these men and women of, of God who put God to the test, right? When they weren't feeling like God was there, they put God to the test and realized that he was faithful. We have these things that we can look back on. We have, I pray, our own testimonies. The ways that we've seen God work literally in our lives where we came to a wall and we realized, ah, I don't know what to do here. And it was a season and it was hard and it was crazy, but God, boy, but then he did that and he got me through it. Wow, I hope we have those stories. And by the way, if you've never put God to the test, if you've never allowed him to try, if you've never given him the the, the place to do something miraculous in your life, you may not have any stories. You may not. That's kind of scary to think about. Put him to the test so that you'll have some stories of how he works, right? Yeah. He's good. And he does work. I'm going to invite the worship team. As, as we close this morning, I know we kind of just shot through these. Um, Take it home. Read Psalm 77 tonight. Uh, Consider the things God's been speaking already. Read it through. um, Find more principles. There's more than five. It's just kind of five that we highlighted this morning. As we come to this final step, this principle of remembering and resting in God, I just wanted for us to experience communion together. As we consider the work that he accomplished on the cross, and I pray, as John prayed earlier in the service in the beginning of the service that if if God never did anything else for our life he's already done enough. He really has he saved us from an eternity of separation from God in a in a in, a, in a, just a horrible existence of selfishness and just just bad existence He saved us from that and he lives in and through us that we might have life and have it abundantly if we let him step that up to the plate of our life if we allow him as we contemplate communion this morning may we remember god may we remember the things he's done in our life may we remember his what he accomplished on the cross um, and as the band starts to play, maybe, maybe we need to just take a moment this morning before we just get right up and, and take communion. Maybe we need to, to reflect a little bit and establish, reestablish remembering his work and what he's done. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, he said, For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Take and eat this and, and do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper and he said, this cup is, is, is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this bread, drink this cup and eat this bread, you will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Can we proclaim his death this morning as we remember his goodness, what he did on the cross? And I just want to mention Paul goes on here. He says, whoever, therefore, eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the the body and the blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself or herself, and then let us so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Real quick, what Paul's saying here is is if if you're here this morning and you you haven't come to this place of, of recognizing Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you haven't bent your knee and received from him this morning, w- would you just refrain from taking this communion? This communion is, is, is for us who have come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We understand that what his body did on the cross as he was bruised and crushed for, for our sin and his blood as he, as he shed his blood on the cross and, and, and he bore the sins, our sins on him. It's a celebration for us as we remember what he has done. I'd I'd invite the the elders up to uh, the McClungs and the Minings. Would you guys come and prepare this for us? So take a moment, examine yourselves. Maybe there's some sin issues in your life um, that you need to just kind of deal with. Just take take a moment and let's come as you're ready. We won't take it all together. Just come as you're ready um, and let's partake as we remember the Lord's death um, on our behalf this morning. And then we'll close.